It's good that you could join me. I'm Dr. Barry Harker, and you're listening to The Bible Teachers. I'm having a series of conversations with Pastor Peter Watts on the question, Is God for Real? This is the fourth program in the series. We've looked at the existence of God, the evidence for the trustworthiness of the Bible, and the case for creation. In this program, we are addressing the question, Why so much suffering? There are three more programs in the series, including the seventh and last program, when Peter will tell us about his journey from unbelief to belief in the United Kingdom and how he came to be a pastor in Australia. Hello, Peter. Welcome again. Thank you, Barry. It's good to be here. Peter, why so much suffering? That is uh, the paramount question, isn't it? I think uh, as a non-believer, when I was growing up, probably the two questions that uh, would be obstacles or barriers to me accepting the God of the Bible would have been the creation evolution question and this question, why so much suffering? And I think just about every human being on planet Earth has asked that question, why is there so much pain and suffering? And when we think of it from the perspective of a belief in the God of the Bible, the God of the Bible claims, well, the Bible claims that God is love, not that just that he is loving, but his essence is love. And if God is loving, and the Bible also says that God is almighty, he is all-powerful. The natural question arises, if God is all-loving and he's all-powerful, why is there so much suffering in the world? Because the idea is, uh, well, if God is all-loving, he'd like to do something about it. He cares for us, but he's just powerless to do anything about it. Or he might be all-powerful, but he just doesn't care. And uh, I think this uh, goes back to... um, the heart of, of the question, is God for real? Does God exist? And we asked that question in our first program, uh, what kind of God exists? Is it a God who is uh, indifferent to suffering? Is it a God who actually enjoys seeing us suffer? Or is it, in fact, a God who um, loves us and would like to alleviate that suffering? Is suffering temporary? Is this just a temporary thing in the universe? Well, there is uh, a notion I think most people would uh, accept that you look around the world and you would see good and you would see evil. They recognize that good and evil exist in our world. Uh, There is a notion, some believe that good and evil have always existed and good and evil will always exist. And that's not really an optimistic uh, outlook for the future because I think most people want to see, is there light at the end of the tunnel? Is there going to be an end to pain and suffering? And thankfully, the Bible does talk about pain and suffering coming to an end. And of course, the question then is asked, well, why doesn't God do something about it now? Mm, so that's the, that's the larger question, isn't it? Yeah. Why isn't something happening now? Mm. Well, I guess later we're going to have a look at uh, what the Bible actually says about suffering. But uh, what, are, what are some of the causes of suffering in your mind? Well, I think what I'd like to do is maybe talk about the causes later because I want to unpack some of the biblical material. I guess most people have seen uh, maybe in insurance policies or or something like that where they'll talk about major disasters or catastrophes as acts of God. Uh, And we sort of tend to think uh, when we see something devastating occur, we say, well, I'm not sure why that's occurred. Well, we'll put that in God's basket and that'll be God's responsibility. And so if we see a major catastrophe, an earthquake or even a storm or even um, any natural disaster, you know, that we can't account for, uh, by human means, we, we call it an, an act of God. And I just wonder how fair is that? Is it fair to label God with those acts of destruction? Um, 
just because we cannot explain them uh, ourselves. If we look at the biblical material, and uh, we've sort of already talked about does God exist, we've talked about the trust evidence for the trustworthiness of the Bible. So we're going to, at this point, assume that the Bible contains information that is valuable to us, informing us about why there's so much suffering in the world. And when we look at the Bible, uh, there's a fascinating story uh, in the book of Revelation that kind of goes all the way back to the beginning. Most people, as I mentioned, will... Uh, admit and recognize that there is good and evil in the world. There's this kind of constant tension or battle between good and evil. And, uh, you know, there's a Bible verse that talks about there was war in heaven. Now, this is fascinating to me because before I was uh, a Bible-believing Christian, uh, I was a big science fiction fan and I used to watch all the Star Wars movies and I was sort of grew up on watching Star Wars. And, of course, Star Wars begins with the line, a long time ago in a, a galaxy far, far away, Star Wars, a war among the stars. And fascinatingly enough, the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 7, the Bible says, and war broke out in heaven. The Bible describes a war in the distant past that broke out in heaven. And uh, this is sort of uh, very challenging for some of us to get our head around because when we think of heaven, we think of paradise, we think of a peaceful place, we think of a place where we would all like to be. You know, we uh, talk about uh, heaven on a stick or we, we talk about, we sing of songs about being in heaven because we're with the, the one we love or, or what have you. We never think of heaven as a place for war. And yet the Bible teaches that a war broke out in heaven. What was the cause of that war? All right. Well, the Bible has uh, a number of uh, descriptions. There was uh, a beautiful angel that uh, is in the Bible is called Lucifer. And when we hear that name Lucifer, of course, we associate it with the devil and Satan uh, and so forth. Most people will be familiar with that name, Lucifer. But Lucifer actually um, wasn't a bad name. Uh, and Lucifer at one time wasn't a bad character. The Bible actually teaches us that there was this beautiful, perfect angel created by God uh, who uh, was serving at the throne of God. Uh, but at a point in time, pride began to swell in his heart and he wanted more than God had given him. He'd been given a position of great responsibility and yet in his heart stirred a desire for more than God had given him. Uh, and these were the seeds of the rebellion and the war that we see uh, played out in the book of Revelation, where it says in uh, Revelation twelve seven, war broke out in heaven. This would seem to indicate that uh, Satan uh, or Lucifer actually had a choice as to which way he could go. Well, that's important, and we'll talk about that as well. But I want to run through a couple of Bible verses that help to unpack this a little more. When we talk about Lucifer, is there anything in the Bible about him? Well, yes, if we look in the book of Isaiah, chapter 14 and verse 12, it says, How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? In fact, that name Lucifer, it means son of the morning or light bearer. It was a good name. It was uh, He would bear the light from the throne of God. He would share God's message uh, with others. He had a very high position in uh, the government of heaven, if you will. Um, but somehow he was not satisfied with that because I want to read you the rest of this uh, passage. It says, How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How you are cut down to the ground? For you have said in your heart, 
I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. And here, time and time again, you see Lucifer saying, I'm going to do this. I'm going to rise higher. I'm going to be above God. And he coveted, he desired the position that God alone held. Uh, And pride began to swell in his heart, not satisfied with all that he had. He wanted more. And and that's just a fascinating thing to think about. If you think of many of us who live in, in Australia, we have so much. But how satisfied are we with that? We always want more. And uh, this sense of dissatisfaction um, found a place in Lucifer's heart. And he desired to be God, not just to be like God, but to be God and to take his position. And this led to the rebellion? And this led to rebellion. You see, you can imagine that if Lucifer was the light bearer, the one who uh, shared God's truth with others uh, as one of God's messengers, that's what an angel really means in the Bible. The word angel means messenger. And so if Lucifer was one of the um, most senior angels or senior messengers of God, he would share those messages with the rest of the creation. And um, the Bible indicates, again, back in Revelation chapter 12, that uh, Lucifer or Satan now drew a third of the angels to follow him. They were so used to receiving instruction from Lucifer that... um, it would have been somewhat confusing to begin with for them to hear, well, there's a difference between the message coming from Lucifer now and the message coming from God. Who do we believe? Who do we follow? So this brings up the whole issue of trust, doesn't it? it the does. angels had to decide who they were going to trust. Absolutely. And I think you, you mentioned before freedom and the importance of that. Uh, some people ask the question, well, you know, surely if this, if Lucifer was a created angel by God, well, maybe God got the wiring wrong somehow. How did God manage to create something that became the devil? Uh, did God create the devil? And some people believe that, that God created the devil. Um, but it's very clear in the Bible, when you read the Bible, God does not take, um, God is not responsible for evil. That's very clear. You know, there's a, a parable that Jesus tells where uh some people ask, well, how come, um, how come there's, there's bad in the world? And Jesus plainly says an enemy has done this. And so um, God is not responsible for the evil and the bad in the universe. Uh, and he created a perfect being. But because he created a perfect being, he also created that being with the freedom to choose. And if we don't have the freedom to choose, we're not really free. God could have chosen to end Lucifer's life when this rebellion broke out, couldn't he? He could have, and we're going to come back to that in a moment. I'm going to expand on Lucifer, uh, this character, this uh, amazing angel called Lucifer who fell and became the devil. Uh, I want to expand on that a little bit with another passage in the book of Ezekiel. And this is Ezekiel chapter 28 and verse 12 onwards, uh, where... If you read that passage, it's actually describing, uh, Ezekiel is, uh, the Lord is talking to Ezekiel about a character called the King of Tyre, who was uh, very wicked in his uh, era. But then God very quickly goes on to compare the King of Tyre with uh, Lucifer. And we can see that because it says here, Thus says the Lord God, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. 
You were in Eden, the Garden of God. Now, if we think about the Garden of Eden, who was there? there so was this is not the real king of Tyre, Exactly. Is it? This is an illusion that is used to, to compare the character of the king of Tyre with the character of Lucifer. But the king of Tyre was participating in his character in the sorts of characteristics Correct. that Satan had. That's right. And so it says, you were in Eden, the Garden of God. And if we think back to the Garden of Eden, well, there was Adam and Eve there. And then, of course, there was the talking snake, the serpent in the tree that tempted Eve, tempted Eve to disregard the instructions of God and obey the serpent, which, of course, was the devil in disguise. And uh, we see that very clearly in the book of Revelation, chapter 12, that I alluded to before, where it very clearly sets out that uh, the dragon is the devil and Satan. He's the serpent of old. His name was Lucifer. You've got a number of names for this character. So he says uh, in Ezekiel twenty-eight thirteen, you were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. You were the anointed cherub who covers, the anointed angel who covers. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of fiery stones. And it says that he was perfect in all his ways until iniquity or sin was found in him. And then you ask that question, well, how come God didn't destroy uh, the devil straight away. Uh, that, that's a reasonable question. You know, he has rebelled against God. He's actually influencing others to rebel against God. Why didn't he just zap them out of existence? Um, it's interesting to think about. Uh, one of the accusations of the devil was that God could not be trusted, that God was not good, that God was not giving. If you think back to the um, serpent in the garden uh, with Adam, Adam and Eve, and, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later. The serpent said, has God said you can't eat of any tree in the garden? And of course, God had said you may freely eat of all the trees in the garden except for one. I want you to stay away from that one. And that was the tree that the serpent was in. So God was trying to protect Adam and Eve. That was the restriction placed around that tree. He was trying to prevent Adam and Eve from being influenced by this deceiver. And the tree, in a sense, was necessary because without the tree, there was no freedom. Well, that's right. It provided an opportunity for them to choose, to continue to walk with God, to believe God, to obey God, from whom they had received this paradise. I mean, uh, God had given them an entire planet. He had planted a garden in Eden that would be their home, but he'd basically given them a planet and given them dominion over it. Um, I don't know what more you, you could give as a gift to, to a newly married couple, uh, to give them an entire planet um, to look after. Um, so why did God not, not destroy the devil? I think if, if the devil had been arguing that God is judgmental, that God is severe, that God can't be trusted, that God is demands obedience. And he's withholding something. And he's withholding something good from us. Had God destroyed the devil at that moment, the question would have to be asked is, would those questions have been answered? Had God destroyed the devil at that moment, at the beginning of the rebellion, when Satan was making accusations against God, would those accusations have been answered or would, in fact... God's action of destroying the devil and those rebellious angels, would that act have further strengthened the accusations made against God? It would have led to fear. Absolutely. Fear I think that's right. I think those that were loyal to God could have seen that action and 
They may have still had questions. I don't believe that it would have answered the questions or silenced the questions. I think it would only have actually given birth to more questions about the character of God. And so uh, what God does is he allows this rebellion to run its course. There's a fascinating... um, If he hadn't, he would have had to use force to really maintain control. Well, this is, yeah, this is fascinating. The Bible says that God is love and God does not want to um, use force in order to encourage us to love him. This brings up the whole issue of what sort of universe you would want to live in. Sure. Well, that's right. I mean, uh, when we look around the world, like I said, we see great beauty in nature, but we also see great hostility and violence in nature as well. Uh, And so even in nature, we see the battle raging. But as we look around and we see evil in the world, we have to recognize that if you go back to Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, and we see the paradise that God created for the original human beings, we recognize that this isn't that world. Uh, That world is very different to the one we live in. Uh, We have disease. We have uh, destruction. um, We have natural disasters like uh, hurricanes and earthquakes and volcanic eruptions. Uh, We have violence. We have people being selfish uh, and acting violently or unfairly to others. Um, That is not how God intended it to be in the beginning, and that's not what we see in the first two chapters of the book of Genesis. And so... Uh, something has gone wrong with our world. Uh, in regard to this uh, idea of choice, of freedom of choice, we talk about Lucifer in heaven and the rebellion that began there. And we say, well, why didn't God just zap them out of existence? You know, did God get the wiring right, right wrong or something? And we have to remember that God in the Bible describes us as his children. God is described as our heavenly father, Some may remember the Lord's Prayer, Our Father who art in heaven. Um, And that's because he wants that parent-child relationship with us. We are all children of God. Uh, He did not want robots. He could have made robots. He could have made us to just do everything instinctively without thinking, without choosing to do it. Um, But then he would have had robots. He wouldn't have had... um, free choosing human beings. That wouldn't have been a very nice world to live in or universe to live in, would it? Well, we make machines to do our bidding. We make machines to do things that we want them to do. Uh, You know, I turn the switch on the kettle and it boils. Uh, You know, I don't have to ask it to to don't. But you don't have a relationship with it. I don't have a relationship with it. We make machines to do things for us, but we can never in any sense say, this machine loves me. You know, some people love their cars, but their cars don't love them. Um, so machines are different because they're not free-thinking uh, creatures. Is God wanting our love? Like any parent, we pour out love on our children in the hope that they will reciprocate that love, that that love will come back to us. Uh, we can't force that. No parent ever can. You know, we, we would love for that to happen all of the time, and we love our children in the hope that they in return will love us. What then are the two choices that face God? Let's just summarize them. Well, he uh, could have destroyed Lucifer 
and the, the rebellious angels at the beginning, but to do so would not have answered the question as to whether God was fair, whether he was trustworthy, and whether he was love, in fact. And so, in, in and that would have always left a doubt in the mind. That would always left a doubt in the minds, I believe. And so what God has chosen to do is to allow this rebellion to run its course so that the universe... Now, not just us here on earth, but the entire universe is able to see that God is just. He is free. He allows people the freedom to choose, even if that choice uh, leads in a destructive uh, direction. Somebody put it like this. They said, love requires freedom. Freedom involves risk and risk involves responsibility. So in other words, God is love. So he gives us freedom. When he gives us freedom, there's a risk there because you might use that freedom to love God and love your fellow man or you might use that freedom to reject God and to not love your fellow man. So there's always a risk when you give somebody freedom. But with that risk, there is also responsibility. If you have a freedom to choose and you choose to do the wrong thing, then you also have responsibility for the action you took because you freely took it yourself. Uh, it's no good blaming somebody else. So I could go out, um, get drunk, drive my car and hit a, an innocent pedestrian and kill them. And I might uh, blame God for not taking that person out of the way. But really the responsibility is mine for the actions that I took. Um, so sometimes we want to blame God for things that actually uh, are part of my responsibility. Um, so God loves us. He wants us to love him in return. We go to uh, the Genesis story, as I so mentioned. So he's chosen that path yes. rather than the one of destroying sin right at the very beginning. And There's a fascinating um, parable that Jesus, a story that Jesus tells. And he says that uh, a landowner sowed good seed in his field. And then... Uh, Overnight, an enemy came in and sowed weeds in that same field. And uh, as they started to sprout up, some of his servants in the, the days that followed, his servants came to him and said, didn't you sow good seed in the field? How come it's got weeds there too? And the landowner says, an enemy has done this. And they said, well, do you want us to rip them out? Do you want us to go around and rip out all the weeds? And it's fascinating because the landowner says, no, let the two grow together until the harvest. And then they'll separate the weeds from the wheat. And that's a fascinating thought because many a plant, when they sprout out of the ground and you see those little green shoots, many of them all look alike. And you can't really tell the difference between which is the good and which is the bad until they're fully grown and you see the fruit and when you see the fruit of those plants, you can clearly discern between this kind of fruit and that kind of fruit. And what Jesus was saying here in this story about the parable of the sower is that let the two, let the bad and the good grow together until the harvest. Because at harvest time, you clearly see the fruit and it's easily able to discern for us on earth and for anybody else in the universe clearly able to discern what kind of fruit they're producing. The choice that God has made to go with the moral universe where he maintains freedom and he tries to retain the trust of his creatures involves a cost. There's a cost 
to people, obviously, and this is where the suffering issue comes in, does God suffer that as well? I mean, people might say, well, it's all right for God to go in that direction, sure. but we're the ones that are suffering as a consequence of it. Yeah. How do we respond to that? Well, first and foremost, if we go back for a moment to the Garden of Eden, we see that God creates this wonderful planet. He places Adam and Eve in it in the garden. He says, you can eat of all the trees except for one. Uh, and that one was a place where the devil, disguised as a serpent, would attempt to drag them into his rebellion, basically. And, of course, we know the story how he engages with Eve in a conversation and Eve falls into that temptation. She takes of the fruit that God said don't take. She shares that with uh, Adam and, and thus they make a decision to disregard the word of God and listen to the word of the serpent. Uh, and so that was a free choice that our parents made way back then. And our world has never been the same since. And um, at that time, God made a promise to Adam and Eve. He made a promise that he would send the seed of the woman. And that was Jesus. And we'll talk about that a little later. But that God would do something about this. He would provide a solution. He would provide a way out. Even though Adam and Eve had chosen to believe the words of the serpent instead of the word of the Lord. The Lord also recognized that the serpent deceived them, deliberately deceived them into walking away from God. And so God said, I am going to do something to redeem not only Adam and Eve, but all of their children, which includes all of us. You know, remember last uh, session we were together, we talked about creation evolution, and we talked about the fact that there is evidence in both male and females uh, that we all go back to one original male and one original female, which I think is fascinating because, of course, that's the Bible story. But I want to just go back to, for a moment, before we unpack all of what happened when the seed of the woman Jesus came and what that was all about, just want to go back to this idea that what is happening here on earth in the battle between good and evil is not only being witnessed by all of us here on planet Earth, all the human beings, but the Bible says that we're actually a witness to angels and to men. So in other words, there are angelic beings, there are other beings in the universe watching this great controversy between good and evil being played out on planet Earth. Some people wonder, well, why did Jesus come to planet Earth? Well, that's because this is where, this is kind of the theater upon which this battle now is being waged. The Bible says that Satan actually was cast to the earth with his angels. He's now banished from heaven, but he continues his rebellion here on earth because he found a ready audience here. Most people can hold off you know, getting, getting a reward if they know there's a reward coming mm -hmm. or this is just a temporary situation. Sure. But I guess a lot of people would be asking, okay, we're bearing the consequences of this. Right. In you know cancer, sure. ill health, death, destruction, murder, and mayhem, and so forth, is God feeling any of the pain? Well, He is, and He entered. I mean, in terms of talking in the present day, you and I speaking here in this room, and all of our listeners listening, uh, God has entered that conflict many, many years ago, hundreds of years ago, two thousand years ago. He entered that conflict personally in the person of Jesus Christ. And uh, the Bible, particularly in the New Testament, is very clear that Jesus came as God in the flesh. If God came in person, if God were to come to earth 
as a human being, what would that look like? It would look like Jesus Christ. That was Jesus, God in the flesh, coming to planet Earth and actually uh, walking and talking with us, living as we live here on planet Earth, but then suffering and dying for us. And I'll come back to that point because I want to sort of wrap up with that at the end as well in terms of what that accomplished. Um, but in terms of this, the universe looking onto the conflict that's happening here on planet Earth, you and I, we might go home and watch the 6 o'clock news and we see the war in Afghanistan. And we're sitting in our comfortable lounge chairs uh, in relative peace here in Australia, but we see the war there in Afghanistan and we, we see the different parties and how that's being played out. In a very real sense, the Earth is like a theatre to the universe and the universe is tuning in to Channel Earth, so to speak, for the 6 o'clock news and seeing how the great controversy between God and Satan is being played out here on Earth. And we've got to understand that we still have freedom of choice. This world, in many ways, is in rebellion. And Lucifer, or Satan now, claims this world as his territory. He said, I lured the first human beings to follow me instead of following God. I've lured many other human beings into following me instead of God ever since. And yet in this planet that is broken, in this planet that is in rebellion, we still have a choice and we can still choose to say, well, I'm going to be on the side of God and I want to advertise for God rather than advertise for the opposition. We'll go to a break now. And when we come back, Peter is going to take us a little deeper into what the Bible has to say about this question of why so much suffering. If you have any questions or comments in relation to today's program, you can call 3ABN Australia Radio within Australia on 02 4973 3456 or from outside of Australia on country code 612 4973 Our email address is radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au That is radio at Our postal address is 3ABN Australia Inc. PO Box 752 Morissette, New South Wales 2264 Australia Thank you for your prayers and financial support. You're listening to The Bible Teachers. If you've just joined me, I'm Dr. Barry Harker, and I'm speaking with Pastor Peter Watts on the question, Why So Much Suffering? In the second part of the program, Peter's going to take us a little deeper into what the Bible has to say about this question. Over to you, Peter. Thank you, Barry. Um, we were talking earlier, obviously, this, the topic in question is why so much suffering and probably if I we, we could sum up maybe uh, three answers to that question uh, may not be all the answers that there are but I think that three of those answers um, would be why is there so much suffering well we live in a broken world we live in a world that's not the way it was designed to be when you look at the first two chapters of Genesis so we live in a world that is broken it doesn't operate the way in which it was supposed to because of the rebellion or sin of the first parents, Adam and Eve, our world doesn't operate in a perfect way. So we live in a broken world. That's one reason why there's suffering in the world. Number two, we have an active adversary. Lucifer, or now Satan and the devil, 
He's actually bent on opposing the plans of God. God desires to bless you and I. He desires for our happiness and our health. But Satan is actively working against that. And we're going to see that uh, actually, actually, actively played out. We see it in our world, but we'll see it in one of the stories of the Bible as well. And then thirdly, and this is an area we don't always like to, to think about, is we, the suffering in the world because of um, selfishness, man-made misery. Sometimes we as human beings will do things that will cause the suffering of others. And uh, that is an area where we can take some responsibility and we can choose uh, a different path. Uh, so sin, we live in a broken world. Satan, we have an active adversary. And selfishness, man-made misery, those three areas are three reasons why we have suffering in our world today. If we go back to, uh, we talked about the Garden of Eden, uh, when uh, Adam and Eve were told by God that they could eat freely of any tree in the garden, but there was one tree they could not eat of. They chose to believe the words of Satan instead of the words of God, and thus uh, rebellion came into the world. And in many ways, that was like a voting booth. That tree in the garden was like a voting booth. God says, don't choose that because it will the results will be disastrous, and we see the results all around us right now. Um, but it was like a voting booth. And maybe some people have had the experience of voting for a government and then a week later wishing that they had not <laughs> because uh, the government then may break promises that they made. I mean, Lucifer certainly, Satan, through the serpent, said to Eve, uh, you're going to be better off if you do this. You're going to be better off if you take and eat that fruit. You're going to be better off if you disregard and disobey God. You're going to be better off. And he lied to to. Uh, Eve at that time and uh, the Bible calls him the father of lies and so after that time our world sort of been in rebellion and we've kind of voted in a government that we wish we hadn't uh, well the good news is that there is another opportunity to vote uh, this this government will run its course but God will step in and God will be returned to his rightful place as ruler of the earth and the heavens. Is that, a, is that why uh, Satan is called the ruler of this world? That's right. When Jesus was here, when God in the flesh came in the person of Jesus Christ, in his ministry he described Satan three times as the ruler of this world. That's quite something. I mean, if we said that, um, that would be something. But for Jesus himself to say that Satan was the ruler of this world is recognizing that we had somehow, God gave human beings dominion at the beginning and we kind of handed that dominion over to Satan in some respects uh, when we made that um, rebellious decision. And so now we're working in a situation where we're like on enemy territory. We're living in this broken world. We have an active adversary called the devil and we still get to choose with our lives every day. Who am I going to serve? Am I going to continue to serve selfishness? Or am I going to rather follow the example that Jesus gave, which was selflessness, uh, loving God, loving our neighbor, uh, and so forth? We've in this situation where uh, we're living in a world that's not quite right. We're living in a world that's broken. It doesn't operate the way it should. Um, but God is ultimately wanting to work with us to make the best of our lives here, but also to prepare us for a time when he's going to end the rebellion. This issue of um, pain, uh, so some of it can be self-induced, but um, if you look at the example of Jesus, he was selfless in his behavior, but look what happened to him. 
for sure. It was enormous suffering. Yeah. And sometimes I think it would be a mistake to dwell solely on the selfish aspect. I guess when we talk about selflessness, that is an area that I can actually have a decision about. We still have, we're still free moral agents. We have the power of choice. But of course, the other two areas, the fact that we live in a broken world and the fact that we have an active adversary, there's not a great deal that we can do about those things. And so when pain and suffering comes, it would be a mistake to say, well, that pain and suffering came because you're a sinner uh, and it's as a result of your sin. In fact, Jesus countered that particular teaching. Um, so we recognise that anything can happen to anyone whilst we live on this planet. So, you know, we have a, a situation where, um, you know, an earthquake might occur Good people and bad people and all kinds of different people might be affected by that earthquake. Uh, that earthquake didn't occur because only sinners, uh, you know, were, were, were harmed by that. Uh, it was a natural disaster. The, the earth is actually not operating the way it ought to operate because, um, because sin entered the world and the world is a broken world. Um, it's interesting when, when Jesus was here that Satan himself even tried to tempt Jesus to separate from his father. And uh, one of the things he said to him, he, he took him onto a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of this world in a moment of time. I don't know what kind of a vision that would have been, but he showed him all the kingdoms of this world in a moment of time. And the devil said to Jesus, all this authority I'll give to you and their glory for this has been delivered to me. So Satan is actually saying all of the dominions of the world has been given to me. It was given to him way back there in the Garden of Eden. And he's saying, I'll give it to you if you bow down and worship me. And really what, what Satan was saying is, I'll give you planet Earth if you give me the universe, <laughs> which is not a really good trade. Um, and, uh, of course, Jesus didn't go for that temptation. But it is interesting that Satan was claiming all the kingdoms of this world. It's been delivered to me, and I can give it to whomever I choose. And so... Again, it sort of brings up that idea of the voting booth where we have voted for a government that we kind of wish we hadn't. And, you know, some people will ask the question, why do bad things happen to good people? And there's a really classic example of that in the book of Job in the Old Testament. And Job is believed to be one of the oldest books in the Old Testament. And here we have in this book, at the very beginning of the book, this great controversy between good and evil played out in the first two or three chapters of the book of Job. Um, and you know, we find uh, in Job chapter 1 and verse 6, well, uh, at the beginning of the, chap uh, the book of Job, it describes Job as a wealthy, prosperous man, a man who was a godly man. He followed God, uh, had a large family. He had uh, 10 children, and uh, he, he was successful. He was one of the, the Bible says he was one of the, the wealthiest men man of the East. And uh, then it sort of draws back the curtain on something that's happening behind the scenes. And in Job 1.6, it says, There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came amongst them. And it goes on to say, And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth. So it becomes clear in reading this passage that there's this celestial meeting between uh, God and the sons of God, We'll talk about that in a moment. And then Satan turns up and God says, where have you come from, Satan? He says, I've come from the earth. So evidently this celestial meeting doesn't take place on earth. It, it takes place somewhere in the heavens. And it says the sons of God came to meet with, with the Lord. 
You know, when you read in the book of Luke, the genealogy of the book of Luke, it goes all the way from Jesus all the way down to Adam, the father and son connections. And it says Seth was the son of Adam and Adam was the son of God. It says Adam was the son of God. And I have this picture in my mind that all the Adams of all the other worlds gather together to meet with God and Satan turns up representing planet Earth. It's kind of the G20, if you, if you like, the Galactic 20 meeting. And Satan shows up representing planet Earth. Why? Because Adam's no longer alive. Because Adam ate from the, true, uh, the, the fruit, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, of which God said, don't eat, because in the day you eat, you shall surely die. And so Adam has since died, and Satan now claims dominion over the planet. So he turns up at the G20 to represent planet Earth. And it's almost as if God is making a point of highlighting Satan as he comes to that meeting. He says, where have you come from, Satan? You know, the Lord doesn't ask questions because he doesn't know the answer. The Lord asks questions so that we, the audience, can hear the question and hear the answer. And so the Lord is saying, where, where do you come from, Satan? Well, I've come from the earth. Oh, that planet in the rebellion, that planet that's got pain and suffering, that planet that's got disease and, and heartbreak and that uh, planet that's violent and uh, there's warfare and, and people are dying of diseases and that planet, that's where you've, you've come from. That's the planet you claim dominion over. Look what a mess you've made of it. And he, he comes and, and then God says something very interesting. God says, have you considered my servant Job? In verse 8 of Job chapter 1, he says, have you considered my servant Job? So he's saying, Okay, you come from planet Earth, that's a planet in rebellion against God, but have you considered Job? Because whilst you claim dominion over planet Earth, there are people down on planet Earth who still choose and claim to follow me, and Job's one of those. Have you considered Job? And uh, it says, Have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him on the Earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? So Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for nothing? But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he'll surely curse you to your face. So here, Satan is saying, look, Job loves you because you've protected him. You've, you've blessed him with material goods. Uh, he is a wealthy man. He's got 10 uh, healthy children. Uh, you've put a hedge around him. You've blessed him. And if you took away those blessings, he would curse you. This is what Satan is saying. And, of course, what then happens is the Lord says to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your power. And some people read that and they say, God is directing Satan to go and attack Job, which is not the case. God is making a statement, behold, all that he has is in your power. In other words, you're claiming dominion over planet Earth. That's where he lives. All that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. God restricts the devil from actually killing Job. And of course, the devil attempts to go out and attack Job, and that's exactly what he does. He attacks his livestock, he attacks his herds, he attacks his business, and finally he attacks his family. And actually there's a great windstorm uh, where 10 of Job's children are killed in a windstorm. And uh, what, what Satan is attempting to do is to persecute Job so that Job will blame God. And the fascinating thing is that Job doesn't blame God 
And this is what Job actually says. When all of those catastrophes, maybe some people have heard of the patience of Job, right? It's a common saying in the English language, the patience of Job. And it describes the fact that Job had all of this persecution going on. He uh, encountered all of these calamities in one day. And yet he still held on to faith in God. He says, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Wow, that's an amazing faith for someone who lives in a planet that's in rebellion against God, who has just had all of this catastrophe occur in his life because of the activities of Satan. And yet he doesn't know why there's no evidence in the Bible that Job knows why this has happened. But Job is able to say, the Lord gave the Lord has taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. He doesn't, uh, he's not angry with God. He's not wanting to reject God. And so, in, in other words, he kind of foils the devil's accusation that Job only serves God because he's been blessed. This raises the issue about um, suffering. I'm sure many of our listeners will have um, suffered or lost loved ones or sure. had suffered loss and so forth. How easy, it th- how easy then is it to make sense of the sorts of things that happen to us at a personal level? Absolutely. I think every person listening to this um, broadcast and every, I mean, you and I, uh, I don't think there's anybody who hasn't endured some things that are painful, that uh, have affected them personally. They might have lost a loved one. Um, they might have been in a part of a natural disaster or whatever it is. And we wonder, you know, uh, I'm not trying to be evil. I'm not trying to do bad things. Why is this happening to me? Is God punishing me? Some people um, come to that conclusion. And uh, it goes back to what we said at the beginning of the program where we think that some of these things are acts of God. And I think the devil, like with the situation with Job, the devil will attack people and he'll run away and point to God and say it's God's fault. Um, and sometimes that occurs. But I think we also need to recognize that if we are living in a war zone, then we're going to accept, uh, expect that it's not a pleasant place to live. Um, sometimes we forget that. We live in a war between good and evil. And the, because the devil has claimed dominion over this planet, we kind of live on enemy territory. And sometimes I think of, as an example, if we go back to World War II, and we think of the situation of France in World War II. Hitler's Nazis had invaded a number of countries and they invaded France. And uh, there's a famous photograph of Hitler and a couple of his uh, men standing by the Eiffel, in front of the Eiffel Tower in Paris. Uh, and so France was under the occupation of the Nazis. Now, imagine us living in France or even being born in France at that time. We're born into a war zone. We're born into occupied territory. Uh, We have a choice. We can either cooperate with the Nazis who are actually keeping us captive or we could try to cooperate with the Allies who are planning to come and deliver us and give us our freedom. And that's kind of where we live. We're living in this war zone. Planet Earth is a war zone right now. And bad things happen. And bad things happen to good people. Um, And so we live in this war zone, but we can choose to be part of the collaborators that work with those who are actually keeping us captive, or we can work with the resistance, which is actually working with the allies to try to free Occupy France. And really that is where we're at because God is planning an invasion force. Uh, And the Bible refers to this as the second coming of Jesus Christ, where Jesus comes in power and glory. He comes with all the angels. He's planning this invasion force to come and rescue his people 
from occupied territory. What about the, the truly terrible things that are happening in the world? Isn't there a temptation for us to say, well, where's God? It's tempting for us to blame God for all the bad in the world. But if we go back to, um, if we think about those three things, we talked about the fact that because we live in a broken world, because of sin in the world from the very beginning, we live in a broken world. The world doesn't operate as it should. And I just write to refer to Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 11, where it says, I returned and saw under the sun. This is Solomon, wisest man that supposedly ever lived apart from Jesus. And he writes this book of wisdom in Ecclesiastes. I returned and saw under the sun, he says, that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to men of understanding, nor favour to men of skill, but time and chance happen to them all. And that's an interesting line because it kind of describes us living in this world. I could leave the studio today uh, and go home and I might be hit by a drunk driver. Through no fault of my own, I could end up dying today, not because of anything I decided to do, but because time and chance happen to everybody. Uh, we live in a dangerous place. That, that's the reality. We don't live here for very long, but even the time that we live here, it can be a dangerous place. And uh, that is true because of the broken world. But then secondarily, we said, why so much suffering? Because Satan, the, 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 there is an active adversary who is trying to disrupt our lives, who's trying to redirect us away from God, who has solutions to many of our problems. Um, and he wants to disrupt the work of God. Uh, so we have an active adversary. And the Bible says in First uh, Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And so the devil is uh, bent on trying to destroy people and destroy the work of God and misdirect us so that we will have, that we'll make decisions that are going to cause suffering rather than alleviate it. I guess the big question that arises at this point would be, is there an ultimate justice in the universe? Because people can put up with these things, they understand that the world's not a, not a nice place. But when they see these terrible things happening to people and they don't seem to see God doing anything about it sure. at the time, it does raise questions. Is there an ultimate justice? Yes. Is God going to call people to account for the behavior that they've indulged in in this world? And Satan himself. Absolutely. And that's a very good question because people want to know that. And probably I'll answer that in uh, two ways. We talked at the very beginning when Adam and Eve uh, rebelled, they chose to follow the, the words of Satan instead of the words of the Lord. And we threw this world into rebellion. God made a promise right back there at the Garden of Eden that he would send the seed of the woman which would crush the head of the serpent that would ultimately bring an end to Satan. And the seed of that woman was Jesus. Jesus, of course, was born of a woman who was related through all the way back to Adam and Eve. Jesus was born of Mary. We remember the Christmas story where Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And uh, Jesus then took upon himself uh, the sins of the world. When we think about the cross, what was that really all about? Uh, the cross, of course, what happened at the cross was central to all the, the, the whole Christian message. People talk about the cross, uh, and sometimes we wonder, what really is all, that all about? What Jesus chose to do was as uh, he was God, he was perfect, there was no sin in him, there was no rebellion in him, but he chose to take upon his shoulders, to bear upon his life, all the sins of all the world. 
Now, if we think about the sufferings that you and I may have endured, that our listeners may have endured or may still be enduring, what Jesus endured was much greater than any individual. We think of Job and all the sufferings that he endured. That was all in one day. Jesus had the sins and the guilt and the shame of the world placed upon him through all the centuries of every person. I don't know how we could even imagine what that must feel like. But he took that upon himself and he went to the cross and he died for all the sins that we have uh, made. All the sins that we have made, he died for to give us an opportunity to vote again, to give us an opportunity to choose a different master, to give us an opportunity to choose a different governor for the universe. Uh, to return ourselves to obedience to God. And um, so Jesus dies on the cross. Now, Jesus was God in the flesh, according to the Bible. And so he um, bears the responsibility for uh, the sins of the world by taking it upon himself. God comes in the flesh. He suffers. He dies in order that we may have another chance at life. So what you're saying is God actually has a solution to this whole problem of suffering. Absolutely. The, the God himself entered that suffering. If you were God and you had placed that tree in the garden and said, don't eat of it because if in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. And then the children go and eat of it. You could easily say, well, I'll wipe my hands of it. They've made their bed. They can lie in it. But God didn't do that. He said, I want to make a way for them to return to me. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to go in person to the cross. I am going to bear all of the sins of the world. I'm going to die. The wages of sin is death. I'm going to die in order to give them everlasting life, uh, the everlasting life that he intended in the first place. Hebrews 2.14, it says, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, that's us, he himself, Jesus, likewise shared in the same that through death, he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. And so when Jesus dies on the cross, he takes the pain and the sin of the world upon himself. He dies that death. He offers us everlasting life. And then ultimately, yes, there is a, a judgment. There is a judgment where we can either choose to have Jesus represent us in the judgment or we can try and represent ourselves in the judgment. And uh, ultimately, God will deal with sin. God will bring an end to sin. I love uh, Revelation chapter 21, verse 4, uh, where it says there'll be no more pain, no more sorrow, more, no more crying and no more death. And that's really the world that we're all looking forward to. And God will bring that to pass. Just summing up now, Peter, um, I think there are a number of issues now that we can probably discuss in the light of the comments that you've made today. The first one is that the whole issue of suffering is temporary. God is telling us that it's a yes. temporary thing. It won't go on forever. And that's important because there are some views that say good and evil will go on forever. And that's not really optimistic because my children, my grandchildren, all they've got to look forward to is more pain and suffering in the future. Whereas God is saying he will bring it to an end. That's the first thing. The second thing is it's going to end one day. Mm. And this is where the series that we're doing is going to look at this whole question of when Jesus is going to come, yes. when he's going to put an end to suffering. But the fact that it's temporary and that we know that it's going to come to an end helps us to understand. The other thing is, um, as we've talked about the different sources of suffering like sin and Satan and selfishness, we can understand 
that we may not necessarily know the cause. Absolutely. Some cases we bring it upon ourselves and we can see the sure. cause-effect relationship. In other cases, we don't understand. It's like Job. We don't fully understand what's going on in the background, Correct. in the bigger picture. But we don't necessarily then need to judge others because something bad happens to them. Absolutely right. We need right. to be really careful and about ourselves as well. Sure. Just because something bad happens to us doesn't mean that God has abandoned us. There's one other thing that I wanted to add to that. That's absolutely right. I mean, we watch TV, we watch all the bad news, and we can be quick to judge a situation as to why this happened to somebody and why it didn't or whatever. But I think also that we want to be mindful, what can we do in the here and now? You know, we've talked about that God will bring it to an end eventually. But I believe that what God has done in the Bible, he's given us a way of navigating the minefield that is life on planet Earth and saying this is the best way to live down here. This is the best way to survive. He's not promising a bed of roses. He does say there will be tribulation in this world. But there are choices and decisions we can make as a free agent that will um, help alleviate the suffering of others, help alleviate the suffering of ourselves, and we can make choices that take us away from pain and suffering in some respects. And just as there is justice in the universe, there's also a reward. Per, exactly. God, God rewards people for their behavior. Yeah. I guess there are just a couple of other issues that um, I see. One is the fact that there is a distribution of pain. God is not asking us to bear all the pain and the suffering, that he participates in that, he identifies with us. And he's part of that process with us. So he's not divorced from it. And that gives me a, that draws me to God. And I guess the final one is the one you've just addressed. What can I do? The clearest thing that we've seen today is that we should take the Bible and use that as our navigation aid through life. Yeah, I believe that I found the Bible to be a manual for life. And it helps me in so many different ways. And uh, I think that, yeah, that's true, that we can use the Bible as a guide to this life. Peter, it's been a fascinating discussion today. I've really enjoyed it. And I guess this is the big question, isn't it, really, the one that we've looked at today. Peter, would you like to just close our um, program today with By prayer? By all means, let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we want to thank you once again for revealing yourself to us through many different ways, but uh, principally through the Bible. We thank you for your word that tells us about who you are, what kind of person you are, we thank you for Jesus, who in his life reveals many acts of God. As he fed people, he clothed them and healed people, forgave their sins and so forth. We just thank you for that picture of God. And we thank you that there will be a solution to sin. We pray that everybody will be blessed as they listen to these messages and that they will look further into your word for the solutions that you offer. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Peter. Remember to join us next time. Bye for now, and God bless you. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.